men who show up dressed really casually in an environment that is more buttoned up and more corporate, essentially, they're actually respected more as leaders for being these kind of mold-breaking future thinkers. And I'm like, no woman is getting that feedback, right? If I imagine myself walking into a room (laughs) full of men in suits and I'm in a t-shirt, like I'm not getting the same exceptions. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What is your team culture like? What is your leadership style? How do you make decisions? These are all questions my client was recently asked. These questions came from different people, their current team, people who they were interviewing, who wanted to work for them, even their mentee. They all wanted to know, what's it like to work for you, to learn from you? And when I started working with this client, they had some generic answers that they could speak to each of these questions, but sometimes they weren't as confident in their answers as they'd like to be. Now they're able to confidently describe with examples, the cultures of their team their leadership style and how they make decisions aligned to what's important to them by describing their values, how they model those values and how they reward and recognize those behaviors. Can you answer those questions for yourself? Let's dig into these together. Join us in the catch crew, a place to grow your career intentionally, to get the skills to intentionally grow your career and your teams through your own leadership. When you join, you get instant access to team building tools, including values first, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, values first. You get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. That's the catchgroup.com slash catch crew. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm excited to welcome our guest, Laura Weldy. Laura is a women's leadership and career success coach and an unapologetic champion for women seeking to build a career and life they love. After struggling with burnout, imposter syndrome, and glass ceilings in her own career, Laura decided to eliminate these issues for other career women. These days, she uses her proprietary personal power code personality assessment to help ambitious career women around the world put a vocabulary to their own worth in the workplace. She pairs this with her expertise as a masterful certified coach and NLP practitioner to create customized roadmaps for her clients to go from overlooked and overworked in the pre-suite to celebrated and confident in the C-suite as intuitive and authentic leaders. I loved connecting with Laura. I was introduced to her a few years ago and we've connected and shared our passion 
as coaches at developing women to success in the workplace. So I'm excited to have her as a guest today. And we talk mostly about executive presence, executive presence. When I hear that term, I immediately want to roll my eyes. It is a huge umbrella term um, in leadership development. So Laura and I really broke down the term, what it means, what it doesn't mean, how to receive feedback on executive presence, how to give better feedback on executive presence and all the biases around gender and this umbrella term of executive presence. We also talked about Laura's framework, the personal power code, and specifically about three types of influence. And we even related it to the popular show, Ted Lasso. So make sure that you listen until the end to to hear those. This was one of those conversations that we could have kept talking and diving in deeper. And I'm really excited to share it with you. Let's get started. Well, I want to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I always think about this podcast and think about you when I think about other coaches that I admire. So happy to be here. Yeah, I love that we so we connected early days. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, when I started my coaching business, you were nice enough to jump on the call with me and just kind of talk shop. And it's just been so fun to support each other and just yeah. see what each other are doing. And it's been, yeah. it's been awesome just to have a, an internet friend coach. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> my pleasure. I'm like, I love having coworkers that aren't my dog. So yeah. it's always good to connect. <laughs> well, I know about you, but tell everybody else, tell us who you are and um, what you love to do for work and a little bit more about your career story. Yeah. Uh, My name is Laura Weldy. I am a women's leadership and career success coach. I want to emphasize there, I don't really use the term executive coach, which I think is relevant to what we're talking about today, because I love working with women that I see in kind of the messy middle of their careers. So I lovingly call them my pre-suite gals, right? If you're right in the kind of manager, director level, And you know that you're ready to make that leap into leadership, but you're not quite sure how to do it. So those are the folks that I work with. I do a lot of my coaching and neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis and all of the fun tools around building really authentic confidence. So from a place of owning your strengths, leveraging your strengths and using that to build up your confidence to take on a leadership role. I'm super passionate about women being in more C-suites and just being in leadership as a whole, because I think women are really excellent leaders. And I am excited to see the workplace, you know, change for the better, which I feel like we are seeing over the last year or so. Hopefully the workplace is becoming more able to work for everybody, including working for women. So that is what I do. Um, Personality-wise, gosh, what could I share about myself outside of my work? I'm just a friendly, fun person. I love to read. I'm a bookworm. I love to travel and I love to connect with people like you. So that's how we became pals. Yeah, I love it. And the first thing I, I loved your tagline, the the pre-suite. I just loved it so much. And so we were just like talking about that and, you know, how we have similar 
clients, but like, but also adjacent because sometimes I'm more in the, sometimes coaching C-suite or almost to C-suite. And so just the synergies that we can have and the passion around what we both do has always been a commonality in addition to our first names. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. I, I am so passionate about the pre-suite women because I just feel like there's such a gap in company resources, right? When you join a company, you get a ton of attention and development. When you are in the C-suite, you get a ton of attention and development. And most of the kind of coaching funding goes to people in the C-suite. But it's those folks in the middle, like I was, who aren't being developed actively, who want to do more, who are, you know, some of the most creative, productive, powerful people in the room. And mm. I'm excited. It's it's really fun and an honor to work with them. Yeah. And they may or may not have great managers and they may or may not be getting good feedback and all of the things. And so part of that is what we're going to talk today. I invited Laura onto the podcast to really dig into this topic of executive presence. And so if you are in corporate, you have probably heard this before, this like umbrella term <laughs> of executive presence. So when you hear the term executive presence, what does that usually mean, Laura? When I hear the term executive presence used in the media or in the workplace, I think it's often used as a summary of who a person is as a leader. And it kind of implies that there is one way to be an executive, right? You have the executive presence or you don't have it. Yeah. Personally, I think of executive presence more as the energy that you're bringing to a room, right? So more of the kind of hard to pin down, do you bring a positive energy, a collaborative energy, an inclusive energy, or are you bringing into the room the energy of, I know everything and I'm the expert and I'll be directive here rather than collaborative. Um, So I think it really depends on the person, but too often it just is used as the essence of, are you a leader or are you not a leader? Do you have executive presence? Yeah, it's so interesting. It is such a catch-all because, and, and to your point, if you asked 100 people, you get 100 different answers like of what it is. And usually, to your point, it's like, I've never heard someone say, they have amazing executive presence. Usually it's, you know, they could work on their executive presence. Like that's the, that's the feedback that I have, better executive yeah. presence. And so in preparation of our discussion, I just brainstormed a couple of things and I'd love to read this list out to you of things that I've heard that feedback, that catch all, um, mm-hmm. including all of these things. Some of this is actually feedback that was given to me at one point in time. Yeah. So Here's, here's a list. This was, this was just me like for 30 seconds, writing a couple things down. So executive presence could be, you're too quiet, aggressive versus assertive, the gravitas someone has Mm -hmm. taking up space, like not taking up enough space. If they're a good presenter or not, if they can read the room, their delivery on a message, their diplomacy, (laughs) how someone dresses, Mm -hmm. where they sit in a room if they fidget or not, mm-hmm. how they wear their hair or how informal they are. Like those are just like the first couple of things out of my, out of my brain. I was like, Oh, right. I could probably write about this for even longer, but it was starting to feel depressing. So I stopped. So what, what else would you add to that list? What other feedback have you heard being described as not executive presence? 
it's funny that, gosh, I'm like, of course, if you get the feedback of you really need to work on your executive presence, it's going to send you into a confidence tailspin because which of the 17 things are you supposed to focus on, right? I think the most common ones I hear that you mentioned were the gravitas, the clothing, like how you dress and communication styles are really the three biggest. But I definitely think whether you're introverted or extroverted is part of this. I think other components that can be lumped together under executive presence would be personality traits. I have been told before that I'm too bubbly to be in high leadership or I'm too friendly to be in high leadership. So personality components, definitely communication style, definitely personal style, whether or not you're a culture fit, which we kind of joked about before we started, what does that mean? So really that boils down to, are you different from everybody else already on the high leadership team? So many factors that come into play here. What kind of jewelry you wear, if you have like yeah. an ostentatious, ostentatious sense of style versus a muted neutral style. Too All bold. Of these things. Yeah. yeah. And it, it brings to mind the concept of the double bind at work, which I'm sure you are familiar with, but I wanted to kind of share that for your listeners. The The idea of the double bind is that there are a lot of scenarios in the workplace in which women just can't win because whichever option they choose, they are punished in some capacity for. So the really common example is women who act more like men in leadership positions are given more respect, but seen as less likable and less authentic. Women who do not consciously try to act like men in leadership roles are liked more, but seen as less competent and less respected as leaders, right? So this is everything that goes into executive presence. If you think about the things women feel judged for at work, appearance is a huge part of that. Personality is a huge part of it. And communication style, which is sociologically something that we are trained to use differently than men from a young age. So you put all of these like gray area ideas that people use to give vague feedback to women and put them all together, that's executive presence. So of course it's hard, it's challenging for women to understand how they're supposed to show up. Yeah. And I, for women, yes. And it, I think even harder for people of color as well. Yeah. So what do we do with it? Like, is it something that like, I feel like almost everybody is going to get some kind of feedback about executive presence. And there is so just so much bias. Like, like you said, mm -hmm. like be like, uh, you know, you know, if we, if we do the Google search of leader, what comes up in Google images is probably a white older man in a power suit looking like, mm -hmm. um, very formal. So do we ignore it? What do we do with it when, when we're given some of this feedback, which potentially could be, um, bias. Yeah. First of all, take everything with a grain of salt, all feedback with a grain of salt, because people have different motivations for giving you feedback. They may not have your best interests in mind. They may not know the whole picture. So I always say, take it all with a grain of salt. I will say that we can't ignore executive presence because the research shows that executive presence accounts for over 25% of the things that are being considered when you apply for a promotional opportunity. So we have this concept that's super vague, super subjective, very biased, and it's accounting for a quarter of whether or not you will get the promotion that you want. So I don't think we can ignore it. I think we need to be proactive about it. 
But I think that the way that we do it is through developing a more comprehensive personal brand overall, rather than letting somebody tell us who we are through the lens of executive presence. And there's a few things I would say to keep in mind with that. Like the first being, look at the leadership team of the company that you're at and ask yourself whether it's one you want to assimilate to, right? So if you're getting Uh feedback that you're not a culture fit or that your executive presence isn't on point, is that true? Or is it that you differ in your presence and your style and your leadership skills? You don't need to conform if you aren't, you know, in in alignment with what the rest of the team is representing. I also think it's just such an easy way to limit diversity to say executive presence, right? So if we're trying to create more inclusive spaces and more inclusive companies, then we all have to become okay with being the person with the different approach, the different perspective, and we have to really actively argue for more voices at the table. So again, we can talk personal branding all day, but for me, I think that a healthier way to view executive presence. Instead of saying executive presence, we say your ability to influence others. So I talk a lot about influence. You can use influence to sell a project, to share results and wins for your team, to get team members motivated and engaged. It's all of the same ways that you would use executive presence. But the idea here is it doesn't have to do with like how I look or even how I speak. It's how well I can connect with the people around me in a proactive way. Yeah. I feel like the first thing I want to do whenever I hear, you know, I was told I was given the feedback, you know, if a client comes to me, I was given the feedback that I need to have better executive presence that, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to that person? What does it Mm. mean in that culture? What does it mean to your point to that leadership team? What does it mean to your point? Like it, it could be influence. It could be, it could be very valuable feedback or it could be absolute trash. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And unfortunately what it boils down to most of the time is it means you're not acting enough like a dude. Yeah. You might not be, yeah. You might not be acting enough like the other men here is sometimes what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah. Because leadership has long been an arena dominated by men. And when you look at the leadership qualities that tend to get the most praise, they're really masculine traits, like being very outspoken, very loud, being very gregarious and friendly and all of these extroverted qualities, they tend to be really masculine. So a lot of times if they're telling you you don't have executive presence, it's, you know, is it that I'm not a powerful person or is it that you don't have a diverse group of powerful individuals on your leadership team? And so when we do get the feedback, cause we will, you know, it's a yep. matter of time, right? It's 20, it makes up 25% of the, of the decision. So, um, how do you get better at deciphering, um, that feedback? What have you seen that has worked best? Mm-hmm. I like to ask for examples. I would like to say something like, you know, can you give me a specific example of when that was a problem for me? Or can you think of a specific time when you noticed that thing happening? If you think that I'm too bubbly or too friendly for leadership, can you tell me why that's a disservice to the leadership position or why that would be a problem to address, right? It it will definitely tell you immediately whether it's real feedback or vague feedback that they're just giving you for the sake of giving you feedback uh, because they won't be able to think of anything if that's the case. But it also will get them thinking about, you know, 
am I holding this person to the same standards I do everybody else or am I holding them to an exceptional set of standards? So that would be my recommendation. And then I always say to one voice is not the megaphone that you think it is. <laughs> so one person giving you feedback on your executive presence. Okay. Well, you, we can accept that graciously. Like, thank you so much for the feedback and move on. If you're hearing the same feedback multiple times from different people at different levels, that might be worth considering, okay, in what ways am I not showing up as my most powerful self at work? And what might I want to shift to do that in a different way? But, you know, women in particular, the women that I work with, I feel like we are so eager to implement feedback and to show that we can accept feedback that we accept it too willingly sometimes. And not everybody needs to be in charge of our career. Just because a random person tells you something doesn't mean you need to take it to heart and start to use that information. Yeah, I go back to, I was like getting flashbacks of- <laughs> We had said- You've got like house. executive yeah. presence, PTSD. Woo. Yeah, Sorry. I do. Executive presence, PTSD. So I'm an introvert for sure. Mm -hmm. And when I was in a big leadership role, I mean, I've gotten so much feedback, but one of the things was you don't have gravitas and, mm -hmm. you know, my style is more, I'm going to listen to understand and read the room. And then when I do talk, I'm going to ask a really great question that might completely shift the conversation or tie things together, those kinds of things. And it was really interesting because over time people saw that, but it took them, mm -hmm. it took a little bit of time, right. To show up consistently in that way. And and over time, I felt like I did have gravitas and, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, it was, it was more than one person, but in a room full of very extroverted people. And I made the cognizant choice to say, I'm, I'm, I can't, I'm not going to be an extrovert in this room. It's just, it's literally impossible. Mm -hmm. I'm competing with all of these other, all these other very extroverted, mostly men. Right. And so but can I show up consistently in the way that I, I see myself as having gravitas and what does that yeah. look like? And how does that become to your point, part of my personal brand? And I started telling people like, this is how I think this is how, like, so that they could connect the two. It wasn't like, okay, she's not talking. So she doesn't have an opinion. Mm. She's thinking, and she'll give us our opinion and it will be a good one when she's yeah. ready or when she sees the data that she needs to see that kind of thing. So it's almost like I had to tell them what I was doing and then they, they saw that, oh yes. Okay. I understand. This is, this is in, she's just in, in doing it in a different way. Right. It yeah. took a while though. And I, I almost didn't have the patience to be honest. Yeah. Well, and that's why personal branding, that's what it boils down to for me is workplaces are full of people. People are gossipy. People have opinions. People want to put you into a box or label you. So your story is always being told. Yeah. It's just whether you're telling the story of who you are at work, or if you're letting other people draw conclusions upon you uh, of you based upon, you know, random interactions they've had with you based upon your, you know, resting bitch face during a meeting or whatever, like, stupid qualities they use to decide what your story is and who you are. So I do think it is about telling people we can't assume 
that they know what we're doing. So we do have to tell the story of, yeah, I am more thoughtful and intentional when I chime into meetings, but you know, I am paying attention. I'm thinking I'm somebody who's a, a reclusive processor, which is something that I cover in the personal power code is how you take in information and what you do with it. Right. So if you are reclusive, let people know when to expect the decision from you or when to expect the feedback from you. Um, and it does take a little bit of time, but I think that I had two thoughts here, which were, I'm like, we could talk for days about this. Topic. I know, I know. The first one was men get praised when they are the exception when it comes to leadership, right? I was reading this article recently about, um, it was a research study on appearance. And it was basically saying that men who show up dressed really casually in an environment that is more buttoned up and more corporate, essentially, they're actually respected more as leaders for being these kind of mold-breaking future thinkers. And I'm like, no woman is getting that feedback, right? If I imagine no. myself walking into <laughs> a room full of men in suits and I'm in a t-shirt, like I'm not getting the same exceptions. So there's that component to think about, but also when we're thinking about just telling our story, if we don't know what our intention is and we don't know the kind of executive presence or personal brand we want to project, we're not telling that story proactively. So, so much of personal branding as a whole is just you taking the time to reflect back on how do I want to show up? How could I demonstrate my values? How can I really clearly and repeatedly communicate the values with my words so that people yeah. know exactly the story that we're following here. And it gets me really riled up when, when workplaces are committed to gaslighting women into believing that the traits that they have that are so valuable aren't valuable, right? We see yes. women really go out of their way to make company culture, to communicate well with their teams. I think a lot of women are excellent communicators and I still get so many women who come to me and say, I need to work on my communication skills because they've been taught that their style is not the right way or being gaslit into thinking that people management isn't as valuable as technical skills, right? So that led to, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a bit, the personal power code, but it was my kind of rebellious act of women are out here saving workplaces left and right, doing incredible work, and at the same time believing they are not enough because they're being told they should act like a man. I mean, that was my literal feedback in one of my first jobs was you need to act more like the men in the room. Mm. What is more discouraging than that? <laughs> I love that you just said women are out there saving cultures. And I almost feel like sometimes to their, of course, to their own detriment. So the burnout, the doing all the things, taking the notes, doing the parties and changing cultures, the little things, the big things, and this idea of people leadership and those skills that are not as praised it just kills me because it, it it's more important the higher you are in an organization. It is more important um, yeah. because you you can get results in lots of different ways. But if you can't get them through people or if you're not living your values or the company's values, then why are we here? So I, right. I feel like I know we're like preaching to the choir, you and me. I'm like, <laughs> this together. is my soapbox. I'll I know, I know. In, same, but... same. But I um, I really love what you said in, in terms of 
you consistently, not only in words, in the narrative that you say about yourself and your brand, but also in your consistent actions, because I Mm -hmm. still think about other leaders who they say all the things, but then they are still doing inconsistent actions also. Um, But it's the, how do you build that personal brand so that that's what you're known for? You're literally telling people who you are all the time all the time Mm -hmm. you're telling people. And that's what I did in my C-suite role. I was like, my name's Laura and I have these values. Everybody Mm -hmm. knew knew them. (laughs) They knew what it meant to me. And you could not shut me up about talking about them. Thus where I am now. And now I'm teaching other people to do the same thing, but it's telling people who you are. Yeah. You have to say it till you're annoyed by it. Right. I mean, beyond that, because people aren't, always listening. We have short attention spans. And I think this is actually a great thing. Um, Most of us are really lazy, right? So if you tell us who you are, unless you disprove that, we believe it. But if you don't tell us who you are, then we're going to be lazy and assume who you are based on the few interactions we've had, right? So acknowledge that people are kind of going to accept things at face value, tell them who you are, and then make sure that your actions really back that up and you'll earn people's respect for sure. Are you in a new role or transitioning to a new role soon? Have you thought about how you will transition into your new role intentionally? How do you create boundaries to sustain your energy? and prioritize the things that matter most to you. How would it feel to go into your new role feeling prepared with an intentional plan to prioritize the most important things and still have energy to tackle the things that will inevitably come your way? These are the kinds of things that leaders are working on in the Catch Crew. The Catch Crew is our community to build your career intentionally, whether that means transitioning into a new role, building or reinforcing your team culture, or planning your next role. When you join, you get instant access to career transition tools, including Values First, the course, a video-based course that highlights the most important exercises from my book, Values First. You'll get the tools you need to build the life, career, and team culture that you want. Go to thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. That's thecatchgroup.com slash catchcrew. We're having our next monthly catch up soon. Can't wait to see you there. We've talked a bit about like receiving that feedback. What about how can we get better at giving feedback to people Mm -hmm. around the ideas of executive presence? I, as a coach, I'm biased. I like to approach everything from a coaching perspective, but I really encourage the women leaders that I work with to give this kind of feedback in the moment. Don't wait, don't save all of your feedback for an annual review right? Give it in the moment. And what you would do is, you know, after a meeting or something where you felt like somebody could have really stepped up their executive presence in some way, pull them aside. And I always come at this from a place of collaboration, like first state, Hey, I'm on your team, some Mm -hmm. version of this, right? I know you have a promotion in mind in the coming six months. I noticed something in the meeting that I think we could leverage better. And I was curious if you're open to it. So you're always getting their consent, right? And then you're giving them the feedback of, I think if you showed up this way, or if you said this thing differently, or if you did this thing, 
Uh, people will be more receptive. You'll come across more powerfully, et cetera. So really communicating your on their team, giving them the specific bit of feedback and why you think it's important that they take that feedback and then what the end result is going to be. I think at the end, you're going to be seen as a more authentic presenter. I think you'll win more people over. I think you'll whatever. I love that advice. The timeliness is so key. The specificity, right, too, and what the behavior actually is. I love the consent piece, too. Mm -hmm. And that opening is so important to your point. It's like, I'm on your team or I want you to succeed. Like this is the, the intent kind of behind it. And I always also love at at different points to ask for feedback, to know that it's, you know, one, I'm not going to just be a one direction street, like and dumping feedback on you. And then like really thinking about if I'm giving feedback for, for opportunity, when was the last time I did it in a positive way too? So just like you did for the opportunity, it's like, when was the last time I I said more than that was a great job in that meeting? Like, well, why I'll get like, give very, very specific feedback. Like, oh my goodness. I'm so glad that you you asked um, Jim for his opinion because it showed that you cared about what the customer thought because blah, 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 whatever. And so I just, I don't think we're doing that enough either. I think it it feels very kind of glossed over sometimes. Yeah. I think when people come to me and they say, I have, I'm having communication challenges, or I really struggle with giving feedback, my immediate request of them is to start talking to their people more right? When you hold back because you're afraid of your feedback being taken negatively, it makes every time you give somebody feedback feel so much heavier and scarier because it's infrequent. So if you can make a point of giving feedback constantly slash consistently, that's both negative and positive. It takes the emotional charge out of the experience for your people because they're not immediately tense and afraid when you say that you have feedback for them. So I agree. And I don't think there's such a thing as like over acknowledging a team member. I think sometimes people think that's like inauthentic or that it creates this toxic positivity, but I think people just need to know that they're on the right track way more than we think they need to know. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you, you mentioned the more you do it, it becomes less charged. It's, it's almost like building this culture of feedback within your team. (laughs) And then hopefully they feel comfortable then giving you feedback too, whether it's on executive presence or something else. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So we've talked a bunch about executive presence, but where do you think that kind of fits in into kind of, if you think about growing your career, going from pre-suite to C-suite, how important is executive presence kind of in the the overall um, leadership development, like priorities? Like, is it everything? Is it a piece of it? What do you think? Yeah, it's an important piece, but it's a piece. So when I first started my leadership coaching business, I did this little experiment. I took a bunch of women out to coffee. So women who were in, you know, high positions within their company, they were in that pre-suite season, I asked them out for coffee and I asked them, why do you think you're not at the place in your career that you want to be? And the number one thing I heard from all of these women was, I don't have an advocate in the workplace. So this idea that without the kind of white knight to ride in and argue their behalf on, you know, in a closed room setting that they weren't going to get to where they wanted to go. 
which I totally get because sponsorship and mentorship both can be really powerful. But what I was realizing through the rest of the conversations was that we, a lot of women don't have the vocabulary to talk about the gifts that they're bringing to the table as leaders. And they have to argue for why those things are so valuable and so important if they're different from what the company's expecting, right? So I set out trying to create a system to help women do that, to help them, you know, see past the gaslighting, see past the kind of passive approach of, I'm just going to wait to be noticed and then they'll talk me up to, here's what I'm really, really good at. And here's why that makes a leader a stronger leader. And here's what I plan to do with it. So the pieces of that being number one, executive presence, which I call influence. So your ability to influence the people around you. There are three types of that, which I can come back to in a second, but we've got your ability to influence people, how you intake information when we're in a society of constant information overload, right? What do you do with information that's coming at you, which we kind of touched on earlier, and how do you make decisions around that quickly and effectively? What motivates you and engages you to do your best work so that you can leverage that to get all of your work done, right? Um, What is your style of creativity? I think creativity is probably one of the biggest things that set leaders apart from managers is your ability to look at a project creatively to innovate a system, to innovate a process versus just following the norm. And then the last piece is what I call impact desire, which is how do you want to change the lives and careers of the people around you? A lot of women tend to default to doing all of the things. So trying to mentor, trying to run the ERG, trying to do thought leadership, trying to do every single coffee date that's asked of them, and it spreads us too thin. So that component is, you know, how can I reach the most people with the most impact? And that gives us permission to say no to the other things while still knowing we're having an impact. So Those to me are the five qualities of really strong leaders, the ability to show up in a room and influence people positively, the ability to make decisions quickly and effectively and confidently when you know the strategy behind it, the ability to do your best work and bring out other people's best work, how to be creative, how to know at what point in a project your input is needed and when it's not, and then how you can kind of use your power for the betterment of the people around you. I love it so much. I really love your last piece there because I feel like we're always saying yes to so many things. And I just had this conversation with a coachee the other day. She's in a bigger role and she has all these mentees and what do, what do we do? And we brainstorm different ways to, you know, have office hours, invite them Mm -hmm. to, uh, to scale it. Right to give other people the opportunity to mentor some of those people and, and giving the permission to let a mentorship run its course and actually end. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's an interesting part of the personal power code because it changes with, as your career changes, right. You may be somebody who really likes one-to-one mentorship, but if you reach the C-suite, you just no longer have the ability to do that. So how do you stay true to wanting to support other people and do it in a way that allows you to grow and allows you to have the time that you need. So that's what I love about the way this this whole process is set up is it's not prescriptive, right? It's showing you three examples of approaches you can take within each part so that you know, like I can, you know, I'm more naturally drawn to this style of influence, but I can leverage these other ones when and if it's appropriate. 
And it just gives us a lot of freedom to understand that who we are as a leader and a person gets to change and we get to be appreciated for each stage that we're at. I love that there's all these different aspects is not all just people centered. There is some self as well and upwards and peer. It feels like it's very holistic. Yeah. When I was creating this, this framework, I looked at it from two angles. The first was what do women tell me they're struggling with the most at work? And then the other angle is what are hiring people looking for in a leadership person, right? And it's in some ways kind of funny that those two things overlap. It's not so funny when you consider that it's probably because of the patriarchal influence around leadership, right? Right. But I've seen this process be really empowering for a lot of women. So it makes me happy to see them have that light bulb moment, you know, of, oh, I actually am using my power consciously and intentionally in this way. And that can be a valuable thing if I tell people why I'm doing it and how to use it. Yeah, those are my my uh, my thoughts about that kind of framework. But it is really fun to see it change people's perspectives on their own work and the value of it. Yeah. And I love that, you know, influence or executive presence. It's, it's a piece of it. It's a piece of the puzzle. It is not everything and nor should it be. And mm-hmm. so um, I know you talk a little bit more about it and you have like different ways that you like to teach. So can you tell me how um, we can connect with you and like the best way to kind of dig into some of this, some of these resources? So for influence style specifically, I wanted to offer kind of what the three most common versions are for women leaders, because I think this can help us shift some ideas about what we should be doing. But the three styles that I see most often in women leaders is magnetic, which is very people focused, relationship focused. So your ability, your ability to influence other people is by showing up as yourself, drawing people into you, and really hyper-focusing on your relationship with that individual. So you may win them over to an initiative by mentioning their own personal goal that, you know, aligns with that project. Or, you know, we had a conversation recently about X and this would be a good idea. So magnetic style leadership or magnetic influence is probably the most commonly accepted type, I would say. A lot of people think as a leader, you have to be magnetic. So there is that version and a lot of women are incredible at it. The second style is aspirational, which is a little bit more removed. So instead of being focused on the relationships, it's all about you modeling the behavior that you expect. So you get people to change their KPIs and their behaviors by doing it yourself first and showing that it works and demonstrating that authenticity. So you win people over in a meeting by sharing an example of how you've already modeled the thing, right? And how it works. The third type of influence that's really common for women is what I call catalyst. So a catalyst influencer is a storyteller who is going to rely on connecting the thing that needs to be influenced around with a shared value or cause. They can rally people to a cause really effectively. They can help people see how pursuing this initiative is going to be for the benefit of everybody. And all three of these styles work really, really well, right? But if you don't know that aspirational is an option, then you're stuck in the room thinking like, well, I'm doing the work and I'm not being recognized for it. Why can't I just be more magnetic like everybody else? So mm. 
share all of that to give you a little bit of insight into my approach to executive presence. But if you want to learn more about the challenges that women are facing around executive presence, some of the research about it, and then specifically what each of those styles looks like when it's applied, then I would invite you to sign up for your most influential year ever, which is my recorded training all about executive presence for women. And it will give you all of those things. It's totally free. And then there is also a really fun discount code included in the recording. So if you want to go on to access the personal power code course and learn all of the components beyond just executive presence, um, you can do all of that for a huge discount. Awesome. I love it. I'm, I want to dig into those three because I can see different parts of um, my clients and myself and all of those, like you mm-hmm. said, like, it's almost like, which one do you, is your go-to, but then how do you use the others too, or the combinations of, of either I'm kind yeah. of obsessed with the middle one. Um, yeah. the modeling one. I love that so much. Yeah. That's my style for sure. The aspirational. And I think for a lot of introverts, they relate to aspirational too, but it can be so powerful, right? I, I use a lot of examples from the show Ted Lasso in my uh-huh. training. Yeah. Um, are you a Ted Lasso fan? I We are. Yeah, okay. we are. Yeah. So I always tell people like magnetic is like Ted, right? Mm. He is building those relationships one-to-one with people. And that connection is his currency to influence people. Aspirational, I think of as Hannah, mm. who uh, owns the club. Yeah. She looks like such a boss. She acts like a boss. She's inspiring. Um, She's not maybe making as many one-to-one connections, but she really is true to her values and everything that she does. And that builds trust with the people around her. The challenge for that style can be that sometimes that trust is a little more fickle because it's not built on the one-to-one relationship. So she has to be really intentional about modeling it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then the catalyst is Roy. So he has this ability to call everybody on the team together. We're going to do this together. We're going to fight. We're going to create the win that we need. And it's just cool to see so many different powerful leaders and so many different styles. No, I love it. I I love a good reference to a popular show. Love it. (laughs) Really good. Well, Laura, I love hanging out with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we're going to put all of those links in the show notes so that people can connect with you. And what's the best place to find you and connect just to hear more about you? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram at Laura Weldy and on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. We'll link those in the show notes too. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.